Welcome back to the Dungeon Master's Block, the place where we come to talk about the Dungeon Master, the most important person in the game, the only person capable of playing God, killing characters, and lowering the ego of everyone else at the table. And I'm one of your hosts, DM Neil, aka Joe Maniac. And I am DM Ian. Yes, and we are humbled this fine day, for we have Chris Lindsay, the product manager for D&D, on this episode, and we yeah. are going to talk about the competitive one-shot. A very interesting topic. Yeah, it was it, it was definitely fun. But before we do that, we are going to give some iTunes reviews some love. Yeah, so as always, these are five-star reviews, and we are very grateful for all of these. This one is entitled Great D&D Podcast by Lich underscore King, or Lich King. I like the name. This is a great D&D podcast. Or maybe you just charmed us into thinking that with Naga Powers. Oh. <laughs> that is awesome, because that means he listened to one of my episodes. Hey! That means Lich we, King. <laughs> we've been found Thank out, you. and we need to go delete this review as soon as possible. Uh, what? Yes. Yeah. So f- next up, it is from LJ Haydorn, and I know exactly who that is, and it is a prolific podcast listener and amazing fan, and they titled it Great Show, Full of Energy, Five Stars. Doesn't matter which crew members are on, they do a spectacular job with their shows. Lots of ideas for new and old DMs, as well as good content for players to consider. They do their research and know their stuff. Lend them your ear. Definitely. And you've lent your ear many times, sir, and we appreciate that as much as we, we appreciate really this five-star review. Yeah, for sure. And with that, let's head into the meat. I'm starving. We ain't had nothing but maggoty bread for three stinking days. Why can't we have some meats? The flight meat's back on the menu, boys. And for this section of the meat, we have something very special in store, don't we, Neil? Definitely. Special guest, if you will. Yes, absolutely. Today, we're going to be talking with Chris Lindsay, the bard among wizards. He is uh, the D&D product manager for the Adventures League Guru stuff, and he's the architect of the Dungeon Masters Guild itself. Chris, we want to welcome you to the program. Thanks, Ian. We're happy to have you, and I, lo- I love that you gave us this off your Twitter account, so it made introing you much easier. We didn't have to do any research. It was literally <laughs> copy and paste. It was beautiful. Yeah, so yeah, my, my Twitter account basically gives you the idea that I'm like pretty much the head of Team Ninja here. We're behind the scenes. People don't see us until it's too late. We're not out in front like Jeremy Crawford and Mike Merles who are taking it on the chin for us every day, but uh, we make sure that uh, stuff gets done so that they can make awesome content for everybody. Awesome. So as we as we do with every guest, we're going to do a little bit of a quick interview to get a little bit more about you. I mean, we've already got Bard Among Wizards, which is such a great play on words. I don't know how much more awesome we can find out, but I'll give you this wildly open-ended question. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself that you think the li- listeners would be interested in? I come from an education background, but I kind of found my way into Wizards of the Coast through a very, very winding road. That's a very long story I could talk all day about, but I won't go too far into that. I, the, the short version is I came up through the RPGA and organized play into Wizards of the Coast. And I started at Wizards basically in customer service. The only customer service person with uh, with a master's degree, eventually I kind of climbed my way through through the ranks as it were and became their training manager with, like I said, I had an education background. And not long after that, I transitioned over to be a member of the D&D brand team. And now the D&D team is kind of like one big 
studio. So I'm a member of the D&D team and my focus is the brand. I'm the voice of the customer and I am basically in charge of making all of the behind the scenes stuff happen that get a product out of the door. In addition to that, I'm responsible for the Dungeons and Dragons Adventures League and I invented the DMs Guild. So I, I'm really focused on like building out the entire ecosystem of D&D. That's, that's me, I'm the ecosystem guy. So basically I take all the different elements, kind of like a composer would with music, and I weave them into a, a single coherent experience. I want your job. <laughs> I mean, that sounds amazing. Uh-oh. It is, it is not as easy as it sounds. There's a lot of juggling involved. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, still, to work at Wizards of the Coast would be awesome. Yeah, it's like, pretty fun. Uh, I've, had a, I've had a great time here. I've been here since 2003. Nice. So, a little while. All right. So, the next question we want to ask you is... Is there anything you're currently working on that you can share with us? I know, you know, you're not supposed to do too big (laughs) products or whatever, but like, you know, what you can share with us. Absolutely. So, um, uh, well, products, I can't talk a whole lot about those. I am working on all the products, right? Because I'm the product manager. And I know what they are through, you know, a couple years from now. But (laughs) that aside... Um, I am also, like I said before, I'm in charge of the Dungeons & Dragons Adventures League. And since we brought the Adventures League directly from our organized play department into the fold of the D&D team, uh, I've been working really hard on basically taking the Adventures League experience and instead of having it run parallel to our products, having it take the product itself, focus on that, and then enhance the experience of the product to bring it into something much more exciting than it would have been just sitting on its own. Now, don't get me wrong. Our products are awesome. But yes. I think we can always increase the awesome. And that's part of my job. Yeah, I think Neil and I would definitely agree to that. Increasing the awesome is always important. And now I will say now on your Twitter, you're going to have to add turning it up to 11. Because it's that's right. Like that's <laughs> part of the, another aspect of your job. <laughs> Got to crank that amp up, baby. Yeah. <laughs> All right. And I mean, I've given you a little bit of a hint as to what could potentially come your way with this next one, but we have a surprise question for you as we do with all of our guests. The other fun thing is that Ian doesn't know what this is. I'm the only one that knows what this is. So, which is pretty scary. Yeah. All of these surprise questions come from our Patreon dragons. So if you're interested in tossing out surprise questions to our guests, you can always check out our Patreon. And this one is going to come from a silver dragon, Blake Ryan. And I'm pretty excited because I have no idea what you're going to say next. Which major league sport should be replaced by Dungeons and Dragons? (laughs) (laughs) That is a phenomenal question. (laughs) All of them. Yes, all of them. Not baseball. I am am not a sports fan. That's awesome. (laughs) Even a little bit. The only, like, exception to that is... uh, uh, I like to watch the Olympics, so set those aside. They're their own thing. But but like we're talking about professional sports, eject all of those yahoos. Now, I know that's going to make me popular with the people. They're not going to like that, that sound at all. <laughs> but if I had to pick one, though, first and foremost, football, your history. <laughs> nice. And it's not because I don't know anything about football. I played it when I was a kid. I just loathe the sport. <laughs> Done. <laughs> I, 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 can, I can dig that. The best thing uh, that I thought about that was – my first thought was football because we have football 
like analogies or like related ones already in like the RPG systems. Like we can just have murder ball. Sure. It's just Dungeons and Dragons games instead of the NFL. Absolutely. Or, you know, they have uh, a, you could play, you know, like the old rollerball, right? With motorcycles and skates and knives on your sleeves and stuff like that. See, I'd watch that. (laughs) (laughs) I'd watch the heck out of that. (laughs) Well, now that we've got those out of the way, we can jump right into talking about the competitive one shot. And to kick it off, I'll toss it to you, Chris, and kind of see what you'll throw back in terms of the history of the competitive one shot, because I know it's a long and storied history, but we just want to get kind of a basic overview of where the competitive one shot has come from, just so that you know we can set a foundation before we jump into kind of that the how and why. Absolutely. So just to kind of bullet point it, um, without going into too much detail, the competitive uh, one-shot adventure started way back in first edition days um, with adventures like, you know, Hidden Triad of Tamachan, uh, Ghost Cube of Inverness, and of course the fan favorite, the Tomb of Horrors, right? Yes. Yes. Which you can find in the Yawning Portal at your local friendly gaming store. What? <laughs> um, and folks would play these adventures and it was... I would say it's called more like cooperative competitive play. So hmm. it's cooperative in respect to you have everybody around a table and you're still a team trying to accomplish objectives and you're working together and you're competing against every other table that's in the area and all of the, those teams, right? So basically it's our version of a team-based sport. Right, right. Right. So, and, uh, and you want to get through more objectives and have less bad things happen to you uh, than all of the other teams, and that's how you succeed. You scored points on that. Um, now, from there, uh, competitive adventures moved into something a little more singular. There were these adventures in the RPGA days back in second edition called Classics, where you'd play an adventure, each person would have a, a character that was essentially balanced against all the others, and and then at the end, everybody would vote on who did the best. Huh. Okay, And that was kind of different because it... it it removed the the uh, cooperative aspect, which I think is not not necessarily as healthy. Right, right. And that that lasted through I think third edition. In fourth edition, we did these lair assaults, which um, while it didn't necessarily pit a uh, table against table, it definitely pitted the players against the dungeon master. And so that was more cooperative. Um, but really, um, what we want to return to is a style of play where everybody around the table um, cooperates together as a team to achieve objectives, which is really a true like hallmark of Dungeons and Dragons. Um, yeah. And and the competitive aspect is that they are competing against all the other teams in the room. And that's what we did just last week at GaryCon. We ran Hidden Triad of Tamilchan and we ran Tomb of Horrors, both as single round competitive uh, events and people nice. had a blast. Nice. Um, it was absolutely, absolutely one of the most fun things we did there. Yeah, I had I had a buddy who was live tweeting most of the whole thing, just telling everybody about how you know he was playing two fours competitively, and I was like, bro, that is just that's mean. <laughs> like I want to do that. The, um, the tension in the room was palpable, and the thing is though is that, and this is for all you folks out there that played it with us at GaryCon. Now that I know you dig this style of play still, next time, new adventure content, no studying up ahead of time. Yeah. yeah right. <laughs> right. Now, now, 
so I see it, you know, we see it ran for a long time, like this competitive D and D one shot thing. Mm -hmm. Uh, the dates we have are like 77 to 2013. Why did it stop? Um, 2013 is kind of a misnomer really. I mean, I want to remove layer salt from the picture and say that competitive play really stopped when fourth edition started. Right. In yeah, that vilified, horrible. In, yeah. in 2008, <laughs> right? So in 4th edition, um, caters to a very specific type of player, mm -hmm. uh, which is a, actually a, a very small subset of our audience, unfortunately. And while we dig those guys and gals that like that type of play, um, we really, really wanted to offer an experience that was more broad than that. So um, we have. We have 5th edition now. And it, it went away because it... It, I think that we were so focused on trying to make that paradigm work that we didn't have time for the little side things like like competitive play. Um, now that we're back to fifth edition, which takes like all the best elements from every edition that's ever come before it, I think we have a much more robust environment where we can do uh, experimental things like competitive play and have some fun with that. Perfect. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I really, I, I. You know, I've said this on the show before. I came from a really strong 3.5 background, and we tried 4E for a little bit, and it just wasn't for us. But I'm a really big convert to 5E now. I yeah. love it. Uh, and and to see this one-shot competitive uh, aspect of the gameplay come back, I think it's really cool, especially with all the sweet stuff you can do with the character in 5E. Uh, yeah. I think it's I think it's awesome. So from from when it's kicked back off again with fifth edition, like how many events have you done? Uh, what what does what does an event look like as far as doing a pet? I know you said it, you did it at GaryCon. So for the one shot event, it's actually um, it's very simple. Actually, you have your adventure content, which has got to be killer and challenging, and got traps and monsters and puzzles and all kinds of things for the players to to, to mess with. Double secret content that no one ever knows about create fake names for <laughs> but i think the key is two things or three things dungeon masters first of all you have to get the dungeon masters on board with this type of play uh, a lot of our dungeon masters are just sweethearts and they don't necessarily want to they equate character death with a bad experience mm -hmm. in competitive play you kind of have to set that sentiment aside because character death is going to happen, right? Because right? it's more about the it's more about overcoming the objectives, and it's a very different mentality on the behalf of the dungeon master. Because you're not, we're trained. It's not the DM versus the players. It's no. us collaboratively telling a story together and making it work. Whereas in a competitive one shot, it is really DM versus player versus well, everyone else, right? Not exactly. So the okay. DM at this point literally becomes an impartial judge. It really comes down to it's the game designer against the player characters, and the dungeon master is just a facilitator that adjudicates the rules in a, a consistent, fair manner, and then makes sure that the the one thing that is always true in a competitive play, the dice never lie. So if you if you bought some dice rolls, bad things will happen. The dungeon master is not going to fudge anything for you. They're not there to do anything nasty to you. But at the same time, if your character is going to die, they're also not going to do anything on your behalf either. The nuance is gone. Yeah, it's just yeah. Here's what the game does because you want it, like you said, you want it to be fair for every single table. So it's like we're going to all talk together and present it to every table as close to exactly the same as possible. Yeah, yeah exactly, totally. And you want to make sure that everybody's getting the same exact experience. In, in that vein, another thing that's different about competitive play, it's timed. 
right? You, you all begin at the exact same time. You all end at the exact same time. Wherever you are when we, when we call time, you are done. I don't care if you're in the middle of a combat round or in, in the middle of saying what you're going to do. Finished, okay? And as the dungeon master is going through, they have to score, and they have a scoring sheet that has very specific criteria. Although we've taken the scoring sheets from old. I don't know if you've seen one of these things, but they're wildly complicated, and they're very yeah, specific yeah. to the adventure. Um, I have created a scoring system that is a little more, I don't want to say the word generic, but it makes it so that the, it's standardized, so that the dungeon master can get, and the players can become accustomed to a standard type of scoring so that they kind of know what they're getting into when they do this and what the whole event is all about. And it's very simple. It all fits on about three quarters of a piece of paper that the dungeon master can just kind of easily track as they're going through and running the adventure. Yeah, because I remember going to a con. I'm I'm originally from California, and that's yeah. where I did a lot of my my growing up and be. things like cool. that. And I remember going <laughs> to a con in San Francisco. Yeah, I forget what the name of it was. It was like three point five ish period, late, kind of right around the time we switched over to fourth. And I remember looking at one of those like scoring sheets and just as a seasoned DM myself, I'm like, how this is this is too hard. And so I'm glad to see that <laughs> I haven't looked at a 5e one, but I'm glad to hear that it was more like standardized. It's more flexible. It's not yeah. super adventure specific. So that way you can use it for every single yep. game. Like exactly. that's, that's awesome. That's, yeah, that's really more cool. Like, more like you face a challenge, you either overcome it or you don't. If you overcome it, you tick in that check in that box. If you don't overcome it, you tick in the other box and then, then you, then you tally at the end and score and you're done. Right. It's very nice. simple. So there's a little more to it than that, but that's the that's the meat of it right there. Got it. So how many events have you held, or how many how many on average would you say that you do a year since 2016 has has turned over? I mean, you said it's a kind of a it's a it's a thing that people like to do. We like I dig the idea of doing a competitive one shot because I'm a competitor myself. Right, we just started this. So right. last year at Origins, for the first time in a long, long time, we ran the D and D Open. And that is a massive, massive two-round competitive event. We restructured it so rather than people getting eliminated, they got to play all the way through. We made it objective-based. We had some fantastic designers working on that, and it was just just tough. And we had all kinds of wacky things going on. Like, for example, you could hit a trigger somewhere, and then your whole group got to get up and go to a table where – the dungeon master is me, or it's Mike Merles, or it's Chris Perkins, or it's Jeremy Crawford, and we have a special encounter for you. <laughs> that is amazing. I love that. And then something happens, and then we send you back to your dungeon master limping most of the time. Physically, in real life. <laughs> Physically limping. <laughs> so we had a good time with that, and I kind of got the inkling at that point. I'm like, people are really digging this style of play. So I decided that... At GaryCon this year, we would do something uh, a little more contained. And since we had at our disposal classic content that had been converted to 5th edition, we used that as our springboard to try out and experiment and see if people really dug it, right? I and they did. I about Tomb of Horrors. Yeah. <laughs> they had a great time. And oh, the Tomb of Horrors was – you could see the sweat on people's brows as they uh-huh. were playing this adventure. Uh-huh. <laughs> and the scores for Tomb of Horrors were much lower than they were for Hidden Shrine, uh, and mainly because the level sense. paranoia was just ridiculously <laughs> high. Our lower, our lowest scores 
unfortunately for those tables, I'm not going to name who they were. They were in the negative numbers. No. Oh, wow. Oh, oh yes. Goodness. That is that is insane. <laughs> but they had a great time. So we have planned another Dungeons & Dragons Open for Origins this year. We're going to do that. And then I'm going to look at creating a more robust competitive play system for the D&D Adventurers League that will have more regular events, smaller one-round events that will eventually lead up to the Open, which will kind of become like our world championships. Yeah, you know, the way you're describing to me sounds a lot like competitive, like trivia teams, where you've got like these competitive D&D teams that go around to these different events in their oh, yeah. region, and then they can compete. Absolutely. That would be pretty sweet. And the ability to register your team is one of the things I'm going to be definitely heavily yeah. looking at and finding a way to facilitate that so that we can have specific teams with registered individuals that play together and that work together and that plan together for their events. And the ranking beautiful. system. Yes. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> That's sort of what the future holds, I guess, then. <laughs> yep. Yeah, that, that is that, that, that is the future of competitive play, you know, and we're going to wrap all of that competitive play as much as possible into our storylines that we're playing. So when we put out a storyline, our competitive play is going to echo that storyline and be a part of that, that whole experience. That's amazing. I love it. Perfect. Uh, well, let's all talk about how we're going to get to Origins. And yes, uh, <laughs> so Origins is going to be off the hook this year. I can't tell you about the event because it's all wrapped up in yeah, uh, in the product that's coming out this fall. But uh, I can tell you that it is going to be. I, I'm I am super amped. There are a bunch of materials that I'm waiting to be converted. I'm like sitting over here, like, please be next, please be next. Yeah, you know. <laughs> nice. So good. Well. Yeah, I don't know. I'm super jazzed up, so I'm going to try and calm myself down and <laughs> we'll kind of toss out, you know, so let's say someone can't go to Origins and will cry themselves to sleep. Once they wake up in the next morning and they say, I want to do a competitive one shot, what are some ideas we could toss out to the listeners on how to approach that? Maybe at their local convention to get people interested to find out. But I know Adventures League, you're kind of talking about it getting out there. And I would think that some of the modules would eventually be framed to be competitive at smaller conventions. Exactly. And we're actually creating our adventure content so that even though the competitive events, just like our regular content, is going to premiere at specific shows. And the best experience will be to go to those shows and, and participate. Yeah, We are going to, after it premieres, we will make those competitive experiences available to smaller conventions. And we're also planning on making them available to our core hobby retailers as well. Perfect. So one of the biggest questions I kind of have is... And we can all kind of kick around ideas on this, but kind of how would you advise getting in the right headspace as a DM to run a competitive one shot? Because it's fundamentally different from mm -hmm. what we would do at our home table or what we would probably do most times because for the most part, I'm going to be a nice guy. I don't want to kill all my – well, eh, I'm not going to say I don't want to kill all my players. It, all, <laughs> it really depends on the session. Uh, <laughs> but kind of how a person would get in that proper headspace because like you said, you're almost not – you're, you're, you're more Judge Dredd than you normally are at the table. Sure. So basically, to get into that that mindset, actually, let me, let me back up for a sec here. Yeah. So this last week when I was at Gary Con, I had the absolute honor and privilege to meet and play at a table with uh, Jim Ward. 
Oh, nice. And right we had 15 players or so at that table, and he oh. slaughtered us mercilessly. <laughs> and by he, I mean he, di he didn't. He actually, I didn't feel like he was out to kill us or anything. We were playing uh, Metamorphosis Alpha, and basically the game itself killed us and how the rules work for that game. He was merely the referee, right? So, like, you know, in every way except for without the black and white, you know, striped shirt, right? Yeah. So if you can get into that mindset that you're really just there to be a referee and then to observe the play experience and to present the challenge, but then other than that, you're, just, you're there to sit back and, you know, either your players do it or they don't. So you're not there necessarily to elaborate or expand upon the story. There's no going lefts for the player characters. You're there to just say, here it is. Do what you're going to do. I'm here to adjudicate the rules in a fair manner and make sure that everybody plays nice together. That should be your mindset as a referee for a competitive D&D experience. Yeah. Now I just really want the – and hey, you can shoot me down. That's fine. I don't mind. But I, <laughs> now I really want like at the bigger events, if you guys are wearing referee like polo shirts, it would be perfect. Yeah. You know, not that I said that out loud. I'm kind of thinking that uh, a white and black striped shirt with uh, an Adventures League logo and something that says referee on the back would be. Get out of my head. <laughs> yes. And then you, I think, and then you, you know, you can throw out red cards or yellow cards to uh, bad DMs. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. You can make a custom whistle with the ampersand on the side. We got this. We got this all figured out. Dude. That would be I'm, brilliant. I'm all down. So. We've already talked about scoring and running, uh, or well, really, we've talked about scoring a little bit. But as far as like DM craft and running it, you know, there you said it's timed, and obviously there are certain things in modules the DMs are supposed to read, the DMs are supposed to do. Mm -hmm. What is the most efficient way to do that? Because I know like some of the chunks are pretty big. Obviously, the DMs are going to have been trained or have be familiar with the material. But how? Obviously, it's all got to be the same. So do they have to sit and read? the thing exactly i mean how does that work is that i feel like that's what takes up a lot of time sure uh the dungeon master should be following the, the adventure which by the way the adventures to work in competitive play really need to be self-contained they need to be in their own environment that you really can't it's like a bubble you can't really escape from think of it like the hunger games right only with your fake people and the dungeon master is just there to basically present it to you now that said since PC does not stand for player character, it in fact stands for plot corruptor. Um, oh, that's yes, beautiful. I love that. I'm stealing that. <laughs> you will have players who are quite clever who will come up with things that aren't necessarily accounted for in the adventure. For that reason, you always, always, always must have a head dungeon master who isn't actually sitting at a table. And when a dungeon master bumps into something that isn't covered by the adventure and how it should be adjudicated, then it's up to them to kind of flag the head dungeon master and say, okay, what do I do with this? They'll sit there, they'll have a little powwow. The head dungeon master needs to make a note of how they adjudicated that together. So when that question comes up from other dungeon masters, they can just say, this is how we're handling it. And they just give them the, the note and they move on. Huh. Like that's, that that seems that that's really cool. It's like phoning the referees back in New York or something. Exactly, that's exactly what I was thinking too. And I was like, I can just see someone throwing an actual flag and and then <laughs> having to call back upstairs. Yep. Yeah. So when we ran those events, I wasn't actually sitting at a table. I was sitting at HQ, which was on a race platform overlooking the entire area. And the dungeon masters knew that if they bumped into something that they they didn't know the answer to, they would throw their hand up, and I would 
quickly move over to their table. The dungeon master and I would have a quick conversation to figure out how to handle it, and then they would move on. That's awesome. Yeah, I mean, that that's a big thing, because I, I feel like you'd have to be a little bit, as a dungeon master, in a competitive situation, a little bit more rules lawyery. Yeah. If I can use that term, than you normally would otherwise. There's Absolutely. not a lot of bend or play or creativity. You know, yeah. No, rules as written, but with 5th edition, as most people know, rules as written... The biggest rule is it's up to the dungeon master. <laughs> yes. yeah. Yeah, so exactly. you have to account for that a little bit. Yeah. So we've talked about how now why why would a dungeon master undertake like obviously this this thing? What is the motivation to sit down and run a, a competitive one shot? Like to you, obviously they're fun, but other than like the fun, what are the pros and what and our show notes say the pros and the fun of setting one up? I think it's supposed to be the pros and the cons of setting one up. So uh, what would the the pros and the cons of running a competitive one shot B? Well, so that's a good question. And that's something that, that we are working on right now. Now we have a lot of dungeon masters out there that just love to dungeon master for the art of it. That said, it's obvious that if you're dungeon mastering competitive events, you're not playing in them, right? Right. So you don't get that end of the experience, but we do have a robust dungeon master reward system for D&D Adventures League that will basically give them things for their play experience outside of the competitive arena for like their characters that they're playing and so on and so forth. Additionally, again, this is kind of a new thing. And so one of the questions that I have to answer is how do we attract dungeon masters to this arena as it were? And I'm going to be looking to my compadres who run magic organized play for some tips and tricks on that. Cause as far as like, how they attract their dungeon masters and so forth, or their their judges and referees. It's so funny because that's what I had thought earlier in our conversation when you were like figuring out how to register people and teams and stuff. I was like, oh, I think the magic guys across the hall. I, mean, I think they've been doing that for like thirty years. I know, I know one or two of them, and by yeah. that I mean <laughs> most of them. So I feel like I can just go over and we can have a chat, <laughs> yeah, a conversation or two, maybe. So. And I'm just going to, you know, since we're kind of tossing out ideas and it's like you said, for some dungeon masters, the story, the art and everything that trumps rules in a lot of ways. And, you know, they could just throw the dice out and probably be just as happy as the dungeon master. Obviously, you need that in there to make it seem fair and not become this either we're just writing a book together or super competitive against each other. I think one of the cool things, though, and you've already kind of mentioned it, is that that palpable tension inside of a room. Like that experience as the person running it and like you're getting to facilitate that experience for other people. Like that's what would drive me in that scenario is that I'm the one that gets to have these people experience Tomb of Horrors or something like it on this level. Because it's not just Tomb of Horrors at your table. It's a Tomb of Horrors at your table that is in the midst of 20 other tables that is literally has a table above it by the people that are making Dungeons and Dragons. Everything just gets elevated to, you know, turn to 11, as is part of your job description, I've heard. And (laughs) I think that's what, I mean, for me personally, that's what would draw me into that setting. Also, I like to really showcase our best DMs as sort of minor celebrities in their own communities as much as possible, right? So, like, when we had the winning team for both those events at, at GaryCon, afterwards, the prize was a really nice alt cover copy of Volo's Guide to Monsters, right? Nice. Which I signed, Mike Merle signed. Um, and then I had their dungeon master sign it. 
and you know congratulate them and so forth, right? Because I want the dungeon master to feel like they were part of giving the, the the experience that these players were having and part of the fun that they were having still. So the other question, I don't know, just it's been percolating in my mind for a while. Is have you ever thought about doing competitive play? Not necessarily everybody working toward the same objective, but maybe two sides of a, of a war. You know, you've got the one side that's like trying to accomplish X, but the other side is fighting against them to accomplish Y. And then, you know, because that seems to me like that would be really fun as well. And I don't know if there would be a format to do that. I'm sure you guys are. That could be. Wherewithal to develop that system. But I think that would be. That fun. could be interesting. However, in the context of Adventurers League, all of the characters are part of individual factions. And while the factions don't necessarily get along, they do work together. So that said, putting players into a situation where they're kind of going head to head with each other, you have to be very careful because the potential for like hard feelings at that point increases significantly. And Dungeons and Dragons is really a game about bringing people together to enjoy a collaborative experience. And more so than any other like event, when you're being competitive, you have to find a way to still kind of keep it collaborative. Now that said, I will reserve the right to, of course, change that in the future and do something different. But I think however we approach it, we're going to have to be very careful about how that experience is crafted in order to avoid hard feelings. Yeah, no, yeah. I get that. The only reason I asked is because I, I had a campaign where I was running both sides. I had two groups and I was running both sides sure. on different weeks and they were they were counteracting each other the whole time. You know, oh, yeah. Of a different war of a civil war going on in a country. So I was just, you know, that's why that, that idea popped into my brain in competitive play. Cause that seems like, but yeah, I mean, you're right. The potential for, for being, you know, get, getting your feelings hurt. It, it, the chances are a lot better than if you're just doing something where you're all running the same thing. Now I will say during the open, we have had objectives that were faction based hmm. and achieving those objectives might somehow be like, you know, to the detriment of other factions. Usually when they achieve those objectives, however, it doesn't really trip up the other factions so much as it just brings their faction up, right? They're, they are somehow rewarded as opposed to kicking the other guy in the shin. Yeah, just the other team being penalized. Yeah, that's that's cool. I like that. If anything, what would be your parting words to a dungeon master or to a group of players that want to get into competitive D&D. My advice is remember that we're all here to just have fun. Keep in mind that our code of conduct for Adventures League play applies to competitive play just the same as it applies to cooperative play, right? And let's everybody just be a good sport and have a good time, right? Yeah. Have fun with it and, uh, you know, revel in your successes, but also be sensitive to those who may not have had the success that you've had. We have, <laughs> right. we have negative scores on Tomb of Horrors. Yes. Yeah, Tomb of Horrors. Like I said, I, I played it in 3.5, and I still have nightmares about that place. Just... <laughs> Rocks fall, everyone dies. Oh, uh, I will say my personal record for Tomb of Horrors is uh, 45 minutes to total party kill. Yeah. <laughs> wow. And then it was like, it okay, guys. surprise me in the least. <laughs> yeah, I go, pizza in a movie? <laughs> Off you <laughs> go. <laughs> That, was that a competitive player? Was that a- no? That was just at home. <laughs> That's so good. All right. Well, everybody roll up new characters. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. If people want to follow you and hear more from you and keep up on all the interesting things, both with competitive play, Adventures League, and everything like that, what would be the best method for them to do it? The best way to to keep an eye on me is to do that on Twitter. 
I am at Onatrix, O-N-N-A-T-R-Y-X. And I post there frequently about things that are going on. Sometimes even those of us here in the office have little Twitter wars with each other because we're debating about the creation of one thing or another. And yeah, uh, also, if you want to see like pictures of me cooking in the kitchen and the things I'm creating, that's another good way to do that. (laughs) (laughs) Perfect. Yeah. Yeah. Just again, thank you so much for being here. We really, I I had a great time talking about it. I mean, this, this competitive stuff is so much fun in my Oh yeah. Yeah. Thank you guys for having me. And we just want to thank Chris Lindsay again for sharing his time and his amazing amount of knowledge. Mm -hmm. And I would say exuberance. I think he was one of the happiest people that I've ever talked to. He was. Lots of laughing in that episode. Yeah, for sure. Or in this episode. Yeah. And it was just (laughs) fantastic to have him on. If you guys want to get in contact with us and tell us how great you thought this episode was and how much laughing there was, how would they do that, Ian? Well, you can email us at Dungeon Master Block. That's Dungeon Master with no S block at gmail.com. And you can also leave us an iTunes review, five stars if you like it, and we will read it on a future episode. And if 140 characters is more your speed, you can head over to Twitter and find us at DMS underscore block. That's at DMS block. Or you can head over and like us on Facebook and you can get all of our updates, find out when our episodes drop and all kinds of fun memes there. But, as always, we are going to give a Patreon shout-out. And today's shout-out goes to... Richard Richard Davey! And he is a bronze dragon who has access to a lot of bonus content. I have no idea when our new bonus content is coming out, so I'm not going to say it on this episode. (laughs) (laughs) But he's got lightning breath, and he's flying around and using it. Yep. So, if you'd like to check out other shows... We are a proud member of the Block Party Podcast Network. So check out shows like The GM Showcase, Geek Wars, We're So Bad at Adventuring, and more. So again, we want to thank you for listening to The Dungeon Master's Block, the place where we come to talk about the Dungeon Master, the most important person in the game, the only person capable of playing God, killing characters, and lowering the egos of all other people at the table. I'm one of your hosts, DM Ian, saying... We'll see you next week on the Dungeon Master's Block. Now I'm DM Neil. Good night and good luck. I was going to say, you had a question before I jumped in. I did, I know. And then I was paying too much attention to what we were talking about. Shame (laughs) on me. Yeah. I copy-pasted the one from the... Halloween episode when I made this outline. <laughs> so it says painting the town dead, killing characters, families, and decimating the sanity of all all the players at your table. Well, shame on me. So <laughs> <laughs>